The text this morning is from Exodus 40, 34 through 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Sarah for that. All right. Well, uh, good morning again. Uh, My name is Sean. If I don't know you, I'm the teacher pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Redemption Peoria is uh, part of Redemption Church, which is uh, nine different congregations across the state of Arizona. Um, A lot of, you know, philosophy behind that, reasons behind that. Love to help you navigate any questions you might have uh, in in that regard. Uh, Actually, when you go out, myself and some of the other leaders will be by the Connect desk. So come up and say hi. Honestly, come up and say hi if you've never said hi before. That would be really cool to to meet you. A few of you have done that, so I appreciate that. Um, So today we finish the book of Exodus, which is crazy. Um, I'm going to do my best to kind of summarize where we are on the front end and then again on the back end. Um, but there's some calls you have to make when you teach a book like Exodus. And one of those calls, uh, was understanding the tabernacle, how many chapters are, um, are in the book of Exodus are on the tabernacle and how we go about that. And so we spent two weeks ago, uh, five chapters, excuse me, five chapters on the book of, uh, in Exodus on the tabernacle. And then again today, six more chapters, right? And so, uh, there's a lot to cover. So I'll, uh, I'll explain as much as I can because the reality is about four of those chapters are pretty much identical. Okay. So we'll, we'll go through all of that, but let me pray for us, pray for our time. And then we'll, uh, we'll jump in cause there's, there's a lot to cover. Father, thank you for, um, the book of Exodus. Thanks for the story that it is. I mean, the real narrative and we believe this stuff. We believe what you put here. Um, you give us, uh, something really rich in knowing the history um, of your people that we're a part of. I mean, this is our story. This is our history. And um, we're grateful to know that we serve a God who sees people, his people who suffer, um, who saves his people, who comes alongside his people, who desires to be with his people. Um, we're grateful that we serve you, God, and that you're like that. And we pray that as we finish out uh, this amazing book uh, this morning, you'd be with us. Illuminate the text. Let us see it well the way that you want us to see it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I'm going to jump right in because two weeks ago when we talked about the tabernacle, we showed the video and I did my best to explain uh, using the Bible to explain the Bible, explain um, that when, when we read about the tabernacle for us as believers, we can look forward ahead of the tabernacle and we can see, okay, this is what the tabernacle means. And I, I made a statement two weeks ago, maybe you didn't, you didn't uh, catch it, but um, I said, there's two ways to understand the tabernacle. You can understand, understand the tabernacle looking forward and you can understand the tabernacle looking backwards. This tent in the middle of the wilderness is meant to be understood both ways. The thing about it is, two weeks ago, when we talked about how we see the tabernacle and, and what the tabernacle means moving forward, um, that's easy for us to see, okay? Because we have the book of Hebrews that helps explain what the, t- the, the tabernacle is and how it's a shadow of things to come in Jesus Christ. That's easy for us to see, right? I gotta sneeze. We're good. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. 
Um, when my mom's in town, I can't ever say bless you. We can never say bless you. It's always so awkward because she's Jehovah's Witness. So I'm grateful you said bless you to me. Um, this is my real family. Um, so, so, so we see that, but that's easy for us, right? Okay, so check this out. Here's why this is easy. We know who Jesus is. We have the New Testament. We can read about Jesus. We have people like the author of Hebrews helping us understand who Jesus is in the narrative of Exodus. That's easy for us to see. That would be impossible for an Israelite to see. As they're hearing the the story of the Exodus or living the story of the Exodus and they're watching this tabernacle being built, no one there is going, so Hebrews 9 tells us this talks about Jesus, right? That's not happening. They don't have Hebrews 9, right? They don't know who Jesus is. They, They hope and long for this Messiah someday, but there's not a lot of clarity around what's going on. So looking forward would be difficult for the Israelites to see uh, what the tabernacle is all about. But, but here's what's crazy. Where it's easy for us to look forward and difficult for the Israelites to look forward, it's easy for the Israelites to look back and difficult for us to look back. What the Israelites would see, where we find difficulty in seeing, and I'll just lay my cards out real early, is that the tabernacle, as much as it is to point to Jesus, just as much so, it points to the Garden of Eden. And that means something. So um, here's what I want to do. I want to kind of go Baptist on us. And I want to just lay out, I know I'm not a very linear dude when I preach. Um, and so I want to give you kind of three points. These are the, this is my outline. Never do this, right? I want to just give you the outline so you can see connecting the dots, covering this amount of text. Because the reality is we're not going to handle the end of uh, Exodus <clears throat> the way that we've handled it. Reading a uh, portion, this portion, this portion in order. I'm going to sum up big portions of it and explain what's going on. Because like I said, um, what we read two weeks ago, a lot of it is in our text again. So here are the three points that I want you to see. The first is when we finish out with the tabernacle... I better stay to my notes. The tabernacle reminds us of the Garden of Eden. So I just said that, right? So there's the first point that I, w- I want to argue for in our text. The tabernacle is meant to remind us of the Garden of Eden. The second thing I want you to see in our text is the tabernacle is built by the community of faith. Okay? So the tabernacle is supposed to remind us of the Garden of Eden. It's in the Garden of Eden that we um, have the last recollection of the people of God and knowing the story that people were fully human, where God dwelled with them, and the tabernacle is supposed to remind them of that. The people of God rally together and they build the tabernacle together, which leads to an inevitable conclusion that the people of God remind the people of God of the Garden of Eden. Okay, and so that's how I want to argue. The tabernacle is supposed to remind us of the Garden of Eden. The people of God build the tabernacle, which means that the people of God remind the people of God of the Garden of Eden. That's that's about as linear as I can get. So let's go through this text. Let me explain what I can here. So if you haven't already opened your Bible, you can do so. I want you to go to chapter 36 because it's chapters 36, 37, 38, and 39. Um, And as you're opening your Bible, if you haven't already and you're there, here's what you're going to see. You're going to find exactly what we found in chapters 25, 26, 27, uh, or sorry, 24, 25, 26, 27. You're going to find that the same writing, the same description. I even honestly thought about showing the video again because it's it's all the same. The difference is, if you weren't with us last week, what happened is uh, two weeks ago, God gave Moses how to build the tabernacle. That's what he gave him. Um, Moses comes down the mountain, sees that the people of God are worshiping a false idol, this golden calf, and he breaks the instructions. Okay. 
So God then gives Moses the instructions again on new tablets of stone. And now we have the story of not just the instructions being given to the people of God, but now the people of God take those instructions. And what we have in these chapters is them building that tabernacle. Okay. Does that make sense? That's what we have in this whole text. And so here's, here's what you might miss as we go through some of these things. So just uh, for, for, for whatever it is. The first thing I want you to notice, you can see this in 1 Kings and uh, 2 Chronicles 3 and 8 as well, um, that when you read through these instructions, you're going to find a lot of this creational stuff. As a matter of fact, the tabernacle is in the middle of the camp. I explained this a few weeks ago. The people of God are around it. They're surrounding it, and that's where God dwells. Whenever this cloud comes up and it goes, the tabernacle is this mobile um, hotspot for God. It's meant to be moved and, and moved around. Eventually, um, there's a firmer way to do this. There's an actual way to do this, and it's the temple. And the temple is made of brick and mortar. It's not going anywhere. It's built by Solomon. And what happens there, what's really important is, when the finality of the temple is built, you have these huge, I mean, it goes into such great uh, uh, detail, these huge pillars, uh, and and, uh, carved into these pillars are leaves and palm trees. At the base of these pillars are pomegranates, right? There's there's these uh, 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 um, uh, palm trees all along the sides of the walls. All this is meant to depict creation. Remember creation. So, so as a matter of fact, when we read the story uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, we're told that um, when the exile takes place, there's these cherubim, these angels who guard the Garden of Eden. And so when you walk into the tabernacle, what you're going to find on big sheets of cloth are these big cherubims. When you go into the Holy of Holy, you're going to see these big gold cherubims. There's all these things that are meant to, to point us, to, to get us to see. But it's not just the symbols, uh, a lot of these things that, that we can see. But there's also, um, when we read the story of the tabernacle, a creation narrative being told here. Let me read something to you um, from a guy named B.C. Hodge. He, um, he, in his book, uh, Revisiting the Days of Genesis, I had to read it for my masters. He says this, the creation story tells of God's cosmic temple, the world from a chaotic state to an ordered one. So let me tell you what he's saying there. I want you to go back if you know the creation story for a second, okay? What we have in the creation story is a story that starts with, and this is not me making it up, chaos. It's a story that starts with chaos, And a God who enters into that chaos and puts about order. Now, what you need to see is, as he puts about order, he's making all of creation a place where he dwells. Specifically in the Garden of Eden, where he's dwelling, he walks in the cool of the day. Now, what Hodges is saying there is, in the same way the people of God are in chaos in wilderness, God has given them a tabernacle amidst the wilderness. Uh, There's uh, another great uh, reminder of this. Uh, Catherine McDowell, in her book, The Image of God in the Garden of Eden, she says this, uh, which I think is really great. She talks about the, the term God rested. So if you remember, we're in the creation story, God makes all of the earth. This is where he's going to dwell. And then it says he rested. And she argues that the word rested isn't meant to be just relaxation, like God just kicked up his feet and just relaxed. But rested has more of a firmer tone to it in that he dwelled or he inhabited. When he rested, he was there. And so he makes creation, establishing the Garden of Eden, and that's where God is. So hear me, over a million people have been uh, taken out of Egypt from being slaves. And now they are in the middle of the wilderness, and God creates a place where he dwells. It's hard for us to hear, but it's not hard for the Israelite to hear. 
This is to remind us of the story we know. We've heard this somewhere before. Eden. It's the place where God met his people. And there's all these little idiosyncrasies to it. It's amazing, right? Um, As a matter of fact, uh, uh, there's two words that I I think I wrote down. I hope I did. Um, Yes, so the two words in Genesis 2.15, cultivate and keep, actually appear appear in our text in 37 through 39. They also appear in 2 Kings uh, and in Chronicles. Cultivate and keep keep is another uh, uh, way to uh, guard and protect, is another way to translate those words. Those exact Hebrew words appear for the same reason, uh, or the same uh, rules and obligations and uh, uh, jobs that the priests are to have with the tabernacle. Meaning this, the way that Adam is told to take care of the garden is the same Hebrew words that the priests are told to take care of the tabernacle. The Israelites would look back. That would be an easy story for them. It's crazy even uh, when the uh, temple, the actuality of the tabernacle is dedicated and it's purified. You know how long it takes to do so? Seven days. There's all this stuff going on that's meant to, and, the, and this might be hard, may feel like I'm just connecting dots that aren't there. This, this would be like easy for the Israelites to see. And let me just remind you of this. Um, the story that Moses has been relying on and God has been telling his people over and over, I'm taking you out of slavery, is a story going back to a man named Abraham. And do you remember the promise? Do you remember the promise? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to grow your family, and it's through you. This is the same promise that he gives, the same actuality that he gives, the same tell that he gives to Adam. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to grow what's here. I put, I put you as an image bearer there. Take it off, and now you as the people of God. And so Moses, multiple times in the book of Exodus, has gone, remember, God, you're going to establish your people. Remember, God, you're going to establish your people. And he starts with an Eden-like project. It's really cool. And so... Um, That's point one. I need you to see that as you go through the text, you're going to see all of this creation language engraved in and about all that the tabernacle is. All the movements and stuff remind us of all that is. Okay, so that's point one. I want you to shelf that for a second, and we're going to do a plus sign. So that being true, plus something else we find in our text, okay? The next part, I want you to actually go back to chapter 35, okay? This I am going to read a lot in chapter 35, and I'll sum up uh, some, of these, some of these things. What I find fascinating in our text, now that the people of God have the instructions in how to build this place that's to remind them of the Garden of Eden, hear me, they do it together, and Scripture is not hiding from that point. I mean, it's clear. Let, let's look at it. We're about to read a lot of Exodus, uh, but I need us to see this. Chapter 35, verse 4 um, Moses said, which by the way, if the first four verses in our text today talk about the Sabbath, I would argue the reason it's, uh, uh, God is trying to remind his people to rest, rest, I think that's, again, that's a, that's a product. The order of the Sabbath is pushing back to the creation mandate of, hey, on the seventh day you're going to rest. Before there was a law, he's trying to, to remind them of Eden, but it is what it is. Verse four says this, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Do you hear that? So he goes, Moses goes to the people and goes, listen, who has a heart of contribution? 
Who's willing to give to this place that's to remind us of our story in the Garden of Eden? Whoever has generous hearts, and here's what we're asking for of all the people. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple scarlet, yarns, fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, you get it, so on and so forth. Wood, anointing oil, fragrant incense, onyx stones, stones of setting, ephods. We get all this. Gather what you have, and let's do this together. And you know how the people respond? Let's look at a few verses. Look at verse 10. So you're going to gather all this stuff. First, let every skillful craftsman among you make all that the Lord has commanded. We remember that from before, don't we? So I want all of us to gather together. And there are some of you that have this amazing ability to carve in those wood pillars. Have the amazing ability to craft of gold, to draw those pomegranates. You have that ability, and so we need you to do that. And so they do. Verses 11 through 19 is exactly what begins to take place. But, but let's keep going, because we're not done there. Look at verse 21. And they came, all of the people... Everyone whose heart stirred in him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used in the tent of meeting and for all of its service and for the holy garments. Verse 22. So they came, both men and women. The Bible does not do that on accident, FYI. There's a, in the Greek, we have this word anthropos, which means kind of mankind, right? And then there's this aner, which is males, and gunas, which is females. So when it's using anthropos, there's a, a, a tendency to kind of go, well, it, it, it's either one. When the Bible brings out a nuance like that, listen, it was everyone. Tell your kids to break their piggy bank, bring it all, we're doing this together. It was a community project, right? Both men and women, all who are willing, uh, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings. You get all of this, right? Skip down to verse 24. Everyone who could make a contribution. Again, verse 25. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. Look at, listen to this. Verse 26. All the women whose hearts stirred within them used their skill, spun goat's hair. So you have certain men who over here carving this. You have these women who are designing these drapes. You have all these people bringing all these contributions. They're doing it together. They're in the middle of the wilderness. They've been all set free. They don't care what backstory they have. They're doing this together. They're building an Eden for them. Okay, but, but we're not done. I, I love how the story continues. In verse 30, it continues to describe uh, certain people. So skip to verse 31. And he was filled with the Spirit of God and with skill and intelligence and knowledge and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs. So it just continues to describe certain people who have certain gifts. Do this. People are bringing contributions. Women are over here doing this. Men are over here doing this. The kids are, you know, most likely getting in the way if we know anything close to reality. Um, But again, verse 2, you can see in the middle of verse 2, whose heart stirred up and came to do the work. This is all these people. So much so that there's a point when all these people are doing this together, all these contributions are being made, and you have certain people who are working, right? You have other people like, I I don't know how to make what you're making, so can I just give you the gold rings on my ears? Can I give you these to to help make this? I want to give whatever I have. There's so much being brought to Moses and all of the leaders, that this is the ongoing joke. If you grew up in the church, right, I'm sure you've heard this at some point in some type of tithing ser- uh, sermon before. Uh, what takes place in, ver- in chapter 36 is, is really, really cool. L- look at this. Um, let- let's pick it up in the middle of verse 3. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said. So all this stuff's being brought. They all have their task and they all stop for a moment. And they go to Moses, they take a break from their task and they say to Moses, and I quote, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work of the Lord has commanded us to do. 
So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Okay? There is such a generous heart amongst this community in building this Eden-like tabernacle to remind them of where God and how God dwells with them. Moses says, we need you to stop giving. Now, I honestly think we're a generous congregation, but not one moment have we ever sat in an elders meeting and go, yeah, we really got to have a non-tithing sermon. We got to figure this out, right? That hasn't happened, okay? We got goals. We got goals, okay? But the reality is what's going on here is amazing. It's amazing. Moses, they have to restrain. Okay, we have enough. The people of God are, are so excited to be able to do this, which there's the second. So the first one is the, the, the tabernacles to remind us of the Garden of Eden, plus the people of God build the tabernacle together, which in my opinion, as I kind of read through this text, what seems to be obvious is this equaling of, we can put these two together, equals the people of God together create the Garden of Eden. The people of God together remind each other of the Garden of Eden. Now let's talk about why this is important. Let's go back to our first point. Um, see, it's interesting. I did a wet, wedding yesterday, and there were probably 300 people there. It was in this gigantic backyard. And um, it was Mason and Emily and, and uh, doing this wedding, and I don't know everybody in the crowd. And so Mason and Emily have, and I have talked multiple times about what we're going to talk about, what I'm going to say, what marriage is all about. They love Jesus, kind of hippies, but they love Jesus. Um, and so they're on their honeymoon, so they, don't, they won't probably listen to this podcast. Um, so so, so he, he, they... they uh, they talk with me, I talk with them, we go back and forth, and we establish, hey, this is what Christian marriage is about, okay? Now, here's why this is important. I can stand in front of those people at the ceremony and go, listen, this isn't throwing shade, but the reality is there's something deeper, more poetic, more beautiful about a Christian marriage than there are not a non-Christian marriage. Like, the symbols aren't hollow. What's happening with Mason and Emily in this moment is they're representing something bigger than themselves. So hear me, we're establishing... Amongst a group of people, this is marriage. Now, I guarantee you, 300 people in that backyard, there were multiple views of what marriage were. So who gets the say? Who gets to establish this is marriage, right? And so what we're declaring is not us. We're not declaring what marriage is. Not you. Definitely not you. You're not declaring what marriage is. God declares what marriage is. Okay? And so what we're doing is we're leaning into what God has to say. Here's what he has to say. Here's why this is amazing and beautiful. The world has been broken all but for two chapters in our, in our Bibles. And in these two chapters, God is walking in the cool of the day with his people, two people at the time. He's interacting with them far different than we could ever understand. Hear me, the world is the way that it's supposed to be. God has said, here's the way the world is supposed to be. And when he establishes a tabernacle amidst the chaos and wilderness, he's saying, from here, I want this to be jump points to tell people the way the world is supposed to be. I know the way the world is supposed to be. And hear me, God hates pain more than you hate pain. He hates heartache far more than you hate heartache. He hates death way more than you hate death. And not just because it hurts you as his people, but because it's, it's against the way the world is supposed to be. 
That's not the way it's supposed to be. But there were these small two chapters when it wasn't like that. And so, so what's important now is, as we look forward and we ask the question, well, what does that have to do with, as we look back, being reminded of the Garden of Eden? Brothers, sisters, we long for the day of Eden to return, but all the better. We can't wait for Revelation 20 and 21, for the new heavens and the new earth, for an establishment of the new Jerusalem on this earth, and for God's creation to be restored. We long for that day. We can't wait until God's theocracy, and it's not about Republicans, and it's not about Democrats, but it's about God who says, this is what's right. And we and the people go, he said, that's what's right, so that's what's right. But I have different views, I have different opinions. That's cool. He says that's what's right. And so that's what we're going to follow. You want to know why? Because he fully understands justice. He fully understands mercy. He fully gets love. So you have ideas of what you're supposed to do, but he knows the true reality. And the people of God go, that's what Eden was like. That's what Eden was like. That's what we long for. That's what our hearts throb for, for the return of Jesus, his kingdom to be fulfilled. The second part of that equation for us to understand as believers is, and I love this, that it ends up equaling, we uh, build this together, is um, as believers, we're not um, individuals trying to remind each other of, uh, of Eden, but we are a community trying to remind each other of Eden, meaning this, um, there's a full, like, let's just call it what it is. I know I don't know everyone in the room. There's some of you right now, if I can try to, like, scan faces, I get that there are some of you, we do not know each other. Uh, you might not even know my name, right? And I don't know your name. And hear me, um, the only reason that, like, myself or the elders can be okay with that is we're leaning into the fact that maybe I don't know you or maybe they don't know you, um, but you are known. And that somewhere in this community, you're sitting in a room with people in this congregation, and they're going, that's not the way it's supposed to be. They're seeing things in your life, and you're going, yeah, but wait a minute. And you, as the people of God, you dig your heels in, and you go, that isn't the way it's supposed to be. If God says this, then then set my course straight. When we first started Redemption Peoria, um, we had four communities, and we went through this book called Gospel-Centered Community. And I'll never forget the line that it used. And I've used it multiple times, over and over, and it's that sanctification is a community project. We want the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Why doesn't the Holy Spirit talk to me? And what I would contend in the New Testament, testament the holy spirit speaks to you through your brothers and sisters the community of faith together creates the garden of eden together we remind ourselves of the way it's supposed to be we do this together and so hear me this 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 that means that means equaling if if the tabernacle reminds us of the garden of eden the people of god build the tabernacle together then the people of god need to remind each other of the garden of eden We need to go, hey, listen, I love you, encouragement. Hey, listen, I love you, rebuke, whatever it is. We need to be known, and we need to know. We need to be open. And so here's here's where I'll I'll finish with this. Um, I want to sum up the book of Exodus, um, because that that people, that type of people who reminds each other of the Garden of Eden and the way that it's supposed to be um, isn't easy. And I think this is a great opportunity for the last 10 minutes together uh, in, in the book of Exodus to call out what needs to be brought up and what kind of community we should have. Um, And so I think we can look at the story of the Exodus and say, hey, listen, no matter where we are on the spectrum, this is what our community should look like. And so there's there's a few points I want to bring up. Here's the first one. Um, We all have different groups outside of this room. I'm not a fool. 
we all have, uh, whether it be your work friends, uh, your, the friends you grew up with. Some of you grew, came up from out of town. Those friends are hundreds of miles away. Some of you, um, you, you have buddies that you just kind of come here on Sunday and you're out as soon as we take communion, maybe before communion, right? And so you haven't been able to click. And I want to acknowledge something. Um, there is something to be said of how awkward and difficult it is to make friends as an adult. It's just terrible. Let's just call it what it is, right? You have friends, and right, you can relate on all these things, and now you try to make new friends as an adult, and it's just not easy. And so maybe those of you who are at GCU, you have some common bonds. Maybe if you have kids, you have some common bonds, but that's not always the case. So hear me when I say this. Um, we need the girl who didn't grow up in church and like just sold her soul sexually for 15 years of her life, and now has come to Jesus, and now is sitting in a living room, we need that person who's never seen a rated R movie in that same living room. We need it. We need it. Now listen, um, that means in that moment, that, that, that woman who confesses she still struggles with sexual sin, this other woman on this other side can't even get around or understand why she is. She's worried that like she crossed the street without looking both ways, and she wants to repent of it, right? And this woman over here is going like, what? Like, what are you talking about? There's no understanding. There's, but, but hear me, there's a bond. There's a bond here. Neither of us have the answer, but we need to remind each other of the one who does. We need to remind each other of the one who does. I need to look you in the eyes and say, this is what Eden was like. God dwelt with his people here. We need each other. We need to continue to dig in. There's a few other uh, points that I want to bring up before we go. So uh, that's one, which also I would say on top of that, um, there's a part of this whole deal that I want to acknowledge with the the story of Israel being uh, rescued from Egypt is, um, I want to remind you that these are not all Israelites who are building the tabernacle together. If you remember our story, some Egyptians went with them. Uh, Moses' father-in-law, which indicate other Midianites are with them. So yes, it's predominantly with this one people group, but there's a whole level of background here. There's a whole level of background here. And so, listen, this is important, and we don't have to like walk this, um, but there are some of you in the room who have um, serious care for like the abortion issue. And like my heart resonates with you. Like, like you absolutely, you feel like you want to like bomb the, the Planned Parenthoods. Like if you were not a believer, you would just go all in and do something terrible, right? And at the other side, there's some of you who have these strong convictions, uh, maybe for like an illiberal agenda. Like why do you care about like the immigrant? And, and this side's going, well, I, and so he, hear me, here's why I think this is important. Um, with all the different backgrounds, the different ethnicities that, that Christ has brought together according to Ephesians, that this dividing wall of hostility, we're reminded that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're a slave, if you're free, if you're Jew or you're Gentile, if, if you're from Samaria, if you're Hispanic, Latino, if you're black, if you're white, you're going to enter into an area, um, and I'll, I'll say something about this in a second, where um, all of those things have to be laid aside as preference, and we have to say, what does Jesus say is most important? Here's why this is a big deal. There's going to be multiple moments where you're wrong, where you're wrong. And, 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 and this community thing of, of reminding us of, of the Garden of Eden is not about being right. Now, let me just say this. As a white male, and I'm sure there's all these kinds of buzzwords, and every white male in the room is like, oh, no, here we go again. Um, most hated people group in all of the, the, the world right now. Um, I'm sorry, that was a joke. I shouldn't have said that. Um, um, but, but, but hear me when I say this. There is, and you may not understand this if you are just white in the room right now, um, but growing up predominantly Hispanic and African-American people, just all my, a lot of my best friends are Hispanic and, and, and black, and um, 
I've definitely recognized that when in the church world, when a minority enters a predominant white environment, that church looks a lot more white than it does like the body of Christ. Okay. Now hear me when I say this. It, it, this requires nuance, and maybe I shouldn't even have done this. My point is this. Um, we can't keep asking our Hispanic brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters, our black brothers and sisters in the room to constantly lay down their culture for the sake of what we are comfortable with. Okay? And so here's a great example of this. We did the all uh, prayer night on Friday. Um, most of you guys weren't there, which is fine. Um, but... Um, but um, we did this night, and uh, Aaron Daly, just Aaron Daly's the lead pastor at Alhambra, predominantly, uh, yeah, it's just a, a mixed congregation for sure. And he just wouldn't shut up. I'm like, Aaron, stop amening. Stop like, yes, Lord, and right? My charismatic days, I was like, let's get it. But he just kept going, right? This is a normal deal. This is a normal deal. And so if you've ever been in those cultures, the way the, the celebration goes, the way that the, 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 the voice goes, there is a uncomfortableness for some of you in the room where at Redemption Peoria, we haven't even figured out how to clap yet. We, we haven't even figured out how to clap yet. Now hear me, these are all kind of maybe silly ways of understanding it. And you're going, okay, yeah, we need to, but hear me, it's real for some of our brothers and sisters in the room. It is. It's real. There, there's something real, but it's not just true for minorities. It's true in the political spectrum. It's true. It's true. It's true for females in the room. It's uh, being complementarian. And some of you strong women leaders want to go, well, this is how it should be. This is what I want to do. And we go, actually, this is how we operate. This is what we believe is biblically faithful. Uh, we get that that's not easy for you. There's a conforming of your fight to be feminist ideology, right? That we go, but that's not like Eden. Okay. And so it's okay. You're wrong. I'm wrong. We're all wrong. God is right. And so we lean in and we build this tabernacle together, which reminds me uh, of the last thing that I want to say. Um, in 1 Peter, we're told that the, uh, the bricks that we are individually, these spiritual bricks, we're building this tabernacle together. We're building this house of God. And if we're going to be marked by anything, I want to read something to you from 1 John that I found in the people of Israel that is so true. And this is where I'll finish. In 1 John, you can go there if you want. I'm not going to have it on the screen. In 1 John chapter 1, um, I think marks a people that I I think this is a good time to remind us of who we are. If you can remember that the people of God were slaves. And now that they're free, there's an acknowledgement that they don't know a lot. That's easy. It's them versus the world. It's easy for them to understand they don't know a lot because for 400 years, their parents, parents, parents were all slaves. And so they, they can stand in the wilderness and they're forced to rely on God. Even to the point when God says, I'm going to remove my spirit, they, they mourn. God, we need you desperately. And, and, and I, I want to just acknowledge the culture that, that started us at Redemption Peoria and the language that we try to use, which um, this language isn't, Uh, uh, for redemption at large. This has been language that we use specifically at Peoria. There's two statements I want to remind you of that I've said a hundred different times, and I want to remind you this is true again. Number one, the only sin that we're okay with is the sin you're not okay with. What you find at the end of the text here is the tabernacle is built, what Sarah came up and read, and Moses can't enter into the tabernacle. The people of God have sinned, and we are going to be, we will continue to fight to be a people that as we look to God and he says, this is right, this is wrong, we're never going to be okay with the wrong. And so hear me, the only sin we're okay with is the sin you're not okay with, which means the second point, we need to be everything but liars. You need to come to the table and you need to remember um, 
And some of you have been around so long to understand this. And some of you are new and haven't caught the culture here. So let me just say this. Um, you're busted. You're broken. Your struggles with pornography are real. Your struggles with alcohol are real. Your past is real. Your tendencies are real. Your thoughts are real. We're asking you just not to lie about it and go to war. And what I love about 1 John is he reminds us of these two truths going hand in hand. Listen to this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Do you see that? Here's the first declaration. Sin is not welcome here. Sin is not welcome here. Now, but wait, yeah, sin is not welcome here. Now watch this. This is a trip, and it's hard for us to get our mind around. Though sin is not welcome here, but if we walk in light, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You ready for this? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So wait a minute. Sin's not welcome here, but at the same time, everyone's coming to the table and saying, no, I've got sin. I've I've definitely got sin. You want to know why that's true? Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So here's the, the posture the Israelite has to hold as we walk through this garden of Eden. And here's our posture as a community of faith. I come here and I say, I look at things I know I shouldn't. I have thoughts that I know I shouldn't. I treat my family in ways I know I shouldn't. I need help. Can you help me? I'm broken. I'm busted. Jesus, help me. Forgive me. I hate it. I hate that I do that. And I will continue to go to war against these things. I will continue to fight against these things because sin should not be amongst the people of God. And so there's sin. Let's remove it. Let's go, go at it like white blood cells and let's take care of this thing. As the people of God, we do this together. We're everything but liars. Don't hide. Don't sneak away. Don't lie. Be open with where you're at and go to war. Let's together make the the Garden of Eden a reality. Let's together um, see the kingdom of God and what Jesus has called us to do and what ultimately will be true. Right now, it's just hard for us to see. Let's pray. Father, the story of the Exodus is convicting in that um, there's so many layers that we don't even understand uh, in showing your mercy and your grace and at the same time your justice. And so we, we stand as brothers and sisters right now and we pray to you, the same God that gave instructions to Moses for the tabernacle, we pray to you right now and we would ask that the posture of our hearts would be one like the Israelites and that we recognize if your presence flees from us, we are so scared. Like, like we, we, we could do nothing without you. And so our prayer would be that um, we've been slaves, but you set us free, and we are now made righteous because of your son. That, that we serve a God and continue to dig our heels in for obedience because you love us, despite our actions, though we go to the golden calf daily. Help us, Jesus, continue as a community to be everything but liars, be open with our sin, and go to war with it and fight for obedience and not allow it in the camp. We love you. We thank you. Let this be our work to the the community around us that they would see what true humanity looks like. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.